We're in a series called Restless. What is it that keeps you up at night? And uh, this morning we're talking about all my dreams have been shattered. Early on in life, we begin to dream about what we want to be and what we want to do in a career when we grow up. I I bet if you would stop and think a minute, most of you could remember your dreams from when you were children. I I remember several of mine. I I dreamed of becoming a doctor or an astronaut, an archaeologist, uh, an airline pilot, or a gas station attendant. (laughs) In those days, they filled up your tank. You know, they checked your oil. they, They washed the windshield. I thought that was cool. I I, I thought when I started doing some research that the dreams that kids have today would be a lot different than the dreams were when when I was a kid, and and they aren't. I I was really kind of surprised. Today's top 15 childhood dream careers are as follows in no particular order. Astronaut, rock star, actor, ballerina, teacher, firefighter, police officer, writer, detective, professional athlete, uh, veterinarian, scientist, pilot, doctor, and lawyer. Now, something happens as we begin to age. We begin to refine uh, our our dreams to to make them a little bit more valuable. Not not that there's anything wrong with those career dreams. We begin, as we get older, to look to our future, and we begin to dream of being happily married, physically and emotionally healthy, financially sound or even comfortable, and having a lovely, loving family and friends that surround us in life. Those are the things that become even more important to us than some of those career choices. And as we grow into adulthood, we we very soon realize that a lot of our dreams will never be fulfilled. And what's worse, many of our dreams will be shattered in our lifetime. Your dream career is eliminated by technology that can do your job more effectively and efficiently than you can as a human being. Or you find that your age hinders you in competing for the top jobs in the marketplace. Or your marriage made in heaven becomes a nightmare here on earth. Prince Charming was neither princely nor charming after the newness wore off. The child that you just knew would bring such joy to your life has turned against everything that you hold dear. And your heart breaks as you watch her head down a road that shatters every dream you had for her. You receive word that your retirement funds that you'd so carefully put aside for the last 40 years of your life are lost in a Ponzi scheme and your dream of retiring comfortably lays shattered at your feet and you will have to work for the rest of your life. The tests confirm that your physical condition has permanently changed. The disease is not terminal, but it will destroy the quality of life that you now enjoy and all future dreams just fade away like dust in the wind. Life can be unmerciful at times. Loneliness, hurt, anger, frustration, bitterness, fear, disappointment, depression, despondency, and a myriad of other feelings cascade over our souls when our dreams have been shattered. And if you don't believe that there is a God when your dreams are shattered, it only convinces you that there cannot be one. But if you're a Christian, the question inevitably arises during these broken dream moments, where is God when I hurt and need Him so much? Does he care? Is he too busy with the universe to even notice me? Is the Lord really the same yesterday, today, and forever? Or has he grown apathetic and bored with the human experiment here in this world? 
Now, if any of this strikes a nerve with you, then, then we need to take a closer look at God's Word because what we oftentimes forget is that the, that the pages of the Bible are filled with story after story after story of the people's lives whose dreams were shattered. Let me, let me take you back to one of the early ones in, in the book of Genesis, the story of Abram. Begins in chapter 12. Abram, as we are introduced to him, uh, was, had grown up in, in the land of Ur, the city of Ur, uh, and, and had a wonderful family, uh, had a loving, beautiful wife. But at the age of 75, his dream of becoming a father had long since evaporated. And then out of the blue, God called him and said, go. Now, you've got to understand, when we come to this word go in the Bible, there, there's, a, there's a flip side to, to that word. We always think of go as where you're going, but the word go also has this concept of going from as well as going to. In the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus said something like this, he said, if someone compels you to go one mile, go with them two he was basically saying, leave behind your lousy attitude towards serving other people and go to a positive attitude about serving other people. Jesus said, I am going to prepare a place for you. I am going to leave this world. I am going to the next world. So whenever God invites us to go, there is not just where we're headed, there is also the leaving behind. And so going means leaving behind who and what you have been to become who and what God wants you to be. Now, God called Abram to leave the land of Ur. Now, the city, the land of Ur here, I mean, it was the place to be. All the trade from the Mediterranean region that was headed over to ancient Mesopotamia all funneled its way through Ur. It was the city of cities. It was the New York city of Chaldea. Anybody who was anybody lived in Ur. So, you see, Abraham started off pretty good, and then then God comes and says, go. Go to God only knows where. And that's true because it was only God who knew where he was taking. He said, you just follow, take it easy, chill out. I'll get you there. And when we're there, I'll let you know where we are. That's pretty hard. And so whatever dreams he may have had for the end of his life or these golden years in Ur, all were shattered by picking up and moving away. But then God made this promise to him in chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. This is what we read. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Now, we are the recipients of that promise this morning because through Abraham's descendants, came one who is Jesus Christ, and we are here because of him this morning. We are living proof of the promise of God in Genesis chapter 12. But Abraham gets pretty excited here, because if you're going to have a nation, if you're going to be the father of a nation, <laughs> uh, you're, 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 you're going to have to have a, a child. You're going to have to have a descendant. And at this point in time, he didn't have any. Now, his name at this point is still Abram. A little bit later on, his name will be changed to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. But there's a lot of things that happen before his name changes to Abraham. He gets excited about the promise. But you know, at 75, that promise can't be too, all, too far off in the distance, you know, if God is going to fulfill it. Just think of all the disappointments, however, that Abram experienced along the way. He lied about his wife, Sarah. And it got discovered, and he was shamed and humiliated by the pagan king 
of Egypt. Abraham's dream of a good reputation in Egypt was a shattered dream. And then Lot, his nephew, who also went with him. Lot was kind of a self-centered guy, and when Abraham gave him the choice of where they wanted to go, because you see, Lot's shepherds and Abraham's shepherds couldn't get along with each other, and so they had to part company, which is a heartbreak to Abraham to begin with. And Lot takes the good land and leaves Abraham with the scrub land. And then after he does that, he gets himself captured by the enemy, and Abraham has to go off and rescue him. You would think, wouldn't you, that by the time Lot had been rescued, he'd have been humbled and a lot more appreciative and thankful, but he isn't. And so Abraham's dream of a loving extended family is shattered. And then as age goes on and, and Abraham and Sarah realize that they are not getting any younger and that if God is going to give them an heir, it's got to come some other way. And so Sarah says, why don't you marry another person? Why don't you take my handmaiden, Hagar, marry her, and she'll become a surrogate mother for both of us, and maybe she'll have a child, a son. And sure enough, Abraham took her to be a second wife, and Hagar gave him a son in their marriage, and, and what was supposed to be the solution to all their problems becomes just another thorn in the, in, in the situation because now there is a great jealousy that arises between Sarah and Hagar, and, and, and they can't get along together, and Abraham's hope for a happy home is a shattered dream. And then finally, when Abraham is 100 and Sarah is 90. God blesses them with a child of their own. Sarah laughs when she gets the news, and who wouldn't at the age of 90? And so they named the boy Isaac, which means laughter. And for this moment, there is a sense of great joy. But Ishmael, the boy born to Hagar, despises Isaac. And Hagar despises Sarah. And it's so bad, it gets to the point where even God comes to Abraham and says, send them away. Send them away. I cannot imagine Abraham's heartbreak as he must send away his son Ishmael, not knowing whether he would ever see him again. And so another shattered dream. And then comes the most shattering of dreams. About 20 years later, Abraham's about 120. Isaac now is about 20 years old, and God comes to him again with another go. God says, Abraham, go. Go to the mountain, I will tell you, and there I want you to sacrifice your son to me. Now, folks, God never intended for Abraham to carry that out to the last degree. It was a test to see whether or not Abraham loved God more than he loved anything else in this world because absolutely this promise was going to come through Abraham and all of his descendants. But this is another one of those three-day journeys. It took him three days to get to the mountaintop. And during those three days on that journey, Abraham is heartbroken because all of his dreams are, are wrapped up in this boy, Isaac, and all of these dreams are going to be shattered momentarily. But it was on the third day that he, just before he gets ready to offer him as a sacrifice that God stops him and says, now I know the extent of your love. Now, Abraham is considered one of the great patriarchs of the Old Testament, if not the patriarch of the Old Testament, the father of the Hebrew nation, our example of what it means to walk and live by faith, one of the greatest men of the Bible. So my question is this, if God did not spare Abraham these shattered dream moments, what right do we have to expect that living in this life, we too will escape shattered dreams? If you live in this world, you live in the land of shattered dreams. So when our dreams crumble and God seems to be silent, what do you do? 
How do we handle those kinds of moments and times in our life? Well, in, in our moments that are remaining, let me, let me just suggest a couple things quickly. And the first one is simply this, run toward God, not away from him. When we're holding the shattered pieces of our dreams, our first response is always to look to, to somebody to blame. I don't know about you, but when something goes wrong in my life, I want to blame somebody, don't you? And, and some things happen, and there's nobody you can blame, so God becomes the scapegoat. Well, God, if you really cared, it, God, if you're really alive, God, if you really control things, God, if you know everything is happening, you could have changed this, and so we blame God. Now, that's reacting out of emotion. It's not reacting logically. It's not reacting intellectually, and it certainly isn't reacting biblically. God has never promised that he would keep us and spare us from shattered dreams, but it's always nice to have somebody to blame. The only problem is that when we blame God, our tendency is to distance ourselves from God because if somebody is the fault of our problems, we don't really want to be around them. And so in the, in the hard times of our life, in the difficult moments of our life, we want to Pull away from God. I'm telling you, just the opposite is what we ought to do. Even when God is silent, even when you don't know what his plans are, run toward God, not away from him. Because you see, if the enemy can keep a distance between us and the Lord, then he has won the battle. But in the Lord, there is strength, even when you don't understand what's happening in your life and mine. Proverbs 18.10 says this, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. I'm telling you, when the bottom drops out of your life, run toward God, not away from Him. Being a Christian doesn't mean that we are immune to difficulties. To the contrary, it would seem sometimes that our faith is a magnet for problems and challenges. When your dream is suddenly gone, you have two choices. You can pray the blame game. You can pray, God, why did you do this to me? Why didn't you protect me? Or you can pray for a godly perspective on your new circumstances. God has always promised that if we need wisdom, pray for wisdom and insight, and he will grant that. So pray like this. God, what do you want me to learn from this disappointment in my life? How can I grow spiritually through this difficult time? Open my eyes to how you might bring something positive out of this negative situation. Now that's running toward God, not away from him. The promise of the Lord is not relief from our troubles. The promise of God is that he will be our refuge in times of trouble. He will be our strong tower. And if we run to him, we'll be safe. Key Arthur tells the story about a man who was deer hunting in the wilds of Oregon. Uh, he was following an old logging road that had mainly overgrown, but the, but the road was still at least partially visible where he was walking. He was uh, going along, and suddenly there is a, a rustle of the bushes in front of him, and out of the bushes comes this furry brown and white creature in a mad dash and ends up between his hunting boots, between his legs. It is a rabbit that is trembling. He can feel the rabbit trembling even through the, through the boots that he was wearing. And, and in seconds after the rabbit popped through the underbrush, out popped a weasel. And the weasel came to a dead stop seeing that the man was standing there, the rabbit's strong tower. And the weasel didn't know what to do, and so the hunter took his rifle and fired into the dirt, and the weasel scattered off into the bushes. And he just stood there, and the rabbit stayed there till it calmed down and knew that safety had returned because the man realized that he had stepped at that moment into a life-death story in the forest. 
And finally, the rabbit, regaining its strength, hopped back off into the woods. Where do you turn? Where do you run when the predators of worry, stress, disappointment, and fear pursue you? To whom do you go for refuge with your shattered dreams when the weasels of fear, temptation, heartache, and disappointment threaten to overtake you? Just remember, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Run toward God, not away from Him in your tough times. And here's the second thing. Let hope be your anchor. I think we live in a time when hopelessness seems to be gaining ground. Maybe you see it differently, but boy, for me, I just see more and more hopelessness around, well, around our own homes. Each week, tragic news of school shootings and inner-city neighborhood murders and domestic violence and homegrown terrorist attack continue to escalate. Add to that our own disappointments and tragedies, and life feels more hopeless with every passing day. Think how many families you know whose dreams are shattered every day. Theologian William Barclay wrote, he said, there are no hopeless situations. There are only people who have grown hopeless about them. God can handle anything that happens in our life. It's just that we have grown hopeless about those circumstances. And when we lose our hope, it affects our mental and emotional stability. According to research at the University of Minnesota, quote, chronic stress from feelings of helplessness and hopelessness can upset the body's hormone balance and deplete the brain chemicals required for feelings of happiness as well as have a damaging impact on the immune system. New scientific understandings have also identified the process by which chronic stress can actually decrease our lifespan. Hopelessness affects our hormonal balance, depletes our brain chemicals required for happiness, has damaging impact on our immune system, and can decrease our lives. It's a growing problem everywhere. Psychiatric research estimates that one in every four people has a deep psychological problem today. One in four. Just take a look at those who are sitting next to you in the pew right now. If the three people closest to you look okay, you're the one. <laughs> I, I want you to see this powerful passage from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 6. And, and, and the Hebrew writer goes back to Abraham. He says, when God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Now, I, I love that first line. <laughs> since there wasn't anybody greater, God swore by himself. You know, I swear by myself that I will promise, I'm going to give you this promise. Now, it's not quite that callous. That's the way it sort of comes across to me. It's just simply saying, there is no one greater than God. And when God gives his word, when God gives us his oath, it's as sure as the next breath that you will breathe. 
But we, we kind of hear this waiting patiently, and it, that, that's kind of a, a light description of what's here. What really this word means is to demonstrate patience despite difficulties, or to be patient in the face of provocation and misfortune. Actually, I like the way the old King James translates it. It says, suffer long. You can say wait patiently, but it says a whole lot more when you talk about suffering long because that captures the picture. It's through the broken dreams. It's through the tough times. It's through the difficult moments that we have to suffer before sometimes the answer of God comes. The point for the readers of Hebrews, that would be us, is this. In order to receive God's promise as Abraham received it, we must also wait patiently as Abraham waited patiently. And then the writer of Hebrews goes on to make this important point about our faith and patience leading to our hope. In verse 16, men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to an all argument. This, this is legal terminology here. This is like what happens in a court of law. Somebody says, takes an oath that what they're about to say is the truth. And there are consequences to that. If you break that oath, you are in contempt of court. And then verse 17 says, because God wanted to make the unchangeable nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, his oath and his promise, those are the two, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. Now listen, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. We have this hope, which is an anchor for the soul. I, I'm fascinated by this whole concept of, of anchors. What a beautiful picture. What a powerful thing. An anchor is what keeps a ship stable in times of storm. Uh, do, do you know what the largest anchor is so far uh, uh, made? Uh, there were eight of them built by the Vryhoff Company in 2007. Each one of them weighs 75 tons. That is one big anchor. And, and I find it fascinating that these anchors, all eight of them, were used to anchor a high-tech sea-based international missile defense system. Isn't it interesting that when we came to the most high-tech defense system that, the, that we could come up with, we returned to something ancient to make sure it was secure, an anchor in like manner. In this high-tech day in which we live, the best advice to anchor our lives comes from the ancient Word of God. You turn to the words of God, and you will find there your reason for hope. It's no surprise then, folks, that, that one of the ancient symbols of the Christian faith was an anchor. Epitaphs of believers in the tombs dating far back as the end of the first century frequently displayed an anchor carved into the stone as well as a message of hope. Musician Michael Card wrote this. He said, the first century symbol wasn't the cross, it was the anchor. If I'm a first century Christian and I'm hiding in the catacombs and three of my best friends have just been thrown to the lions or burned at the stake or crucified and set ablaze as torches in one of Nero's garden parties, the symbol that most encourages me in my faith is the anchor. When I see it, I am reminded that Jesus is my anchor. As a matter of fact, folks, it wasn't until the third century that the cross became the symbol of Christianity. Before that, 
It was the anchor. But remember, the anchor in and of itself is worthless unless it grabs hold of something firm. The anchor can only bring stability in the storm if it clings to a solid foundation. If it just drags through the sand, it, it, it is worthless as an anchor. Our hope as an anchor works the same way. It is worthless unless that hope is grounded in something firm and lasting. If it's just anchored in the shifting sand, it does no good. <laughs> Last March, a London fortune teller's house burned to the ground when a crystal ball magnified the sunlight from the window and set the curtains on fire. Don't you think she should have seen that coming? I mean, a crystal ball. When the world's crystal ball is what you depend on, you will find yourselves burned and anchored to nothing more than shifting sands. When I was growing up, we sang an old hymn about the anchor of our hope. The lyrics go like this. Will your anchor hold in the storms of life when the clouds unfold their wings of strife? When the strong tides lift and the cables strain, will your anchor drift or firm remain? And then the chorus answers with these words. We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll, fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. You will rise no higher than your hope, and your hope will be no stronger than the one to whom it is anchored. I'm not sure there's a better image of hope in Christ than that of an anchor. So when the storms of life beat down upon you, it is our hope in Christ that keeps us anchored. Carol Codish Butter wrote, hope is not about everything turning out okay. It is about being okay no matter how things turn out. So be patient, suffer long, do not lose heart when the breakers crash around you. You have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. I'm amazed when most people share their dreams of what to be and what to become. Very seldom do we ever find anything spiritual in those dreams. Somebody after first service said, you didn't list being a preacher as a dream. It wasn't my dream. Not when I was a kid. That didn't happen until I became a teenager and I was going through high school. That's when that dream took hold of my life. But early on, that wasn't on my radar. Isn't it a shame sometimes that it is the spiritual things that should be on our radar early on in our life that become a part of who we are? Because here, here's the bottom line. If your dream is to draw closer to Jesus Christ, to be an ardent follower, a devoted follower to Jesus Christ, if that's your dream, then I got good news for you. That's one dream that will never be shattered in your life. Because when you draw close to Him, He will draw close to you. He will be our strong tower. And in it, the righteous will find safety. I don't know what dreams are shattered in your life today. I know there are some. In your shattered dreams, run to Jesus. He is our anchor of hope.